means. And it's a series that we're in. We started last week and we've been talking about, or we're going to be talking about more, who God has created us and shaped us to be uniquely, some of our our values and our mission. And last week we said that the reason that we're here, the reason that that we gather on a Sunday morning is is to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. That we want to help people become apprentices or learners or disciples of what it looks like to live more and more in the way of, of Jesus of Nazareth. Today we're moving into our very first value. And as we were doing this, I was watching sort of my news feed this week, and there was something that kept popping up over and over and over again. It was this um, hearing that Congress was having with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the co-founder of Facebook. Did anybody see any of the highlights of this? Okay. So there were a few parts of it that were a little bit comical, like um, congressmen and women asking Mark Zuckerberg, so, so let me get this straight, Right? So Facebook is free, and he's like, yeah, absolutely free. 100% free, right? And then you can almost see him going like, oh, we've got you backed into the corner now, buddy, right? And he's like, absolutely free. And they're like, well, then how do you make money, right? Gotcha. And he's like, "Um, well, congressman, we run advertisements, right? It's like their minds were like, boom, this is a completely new revenue generating model, right? And it's like, Who's running our country, right? Like, anyway, that's a that's side note. Um, too much information. But eventually, here's what they wanted to ask. Here's what they wanted to wrestle with. Um, how much, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, how, how much are you following people? How much do you hear? Mark, Mark where, where are you guys? Are you in like some places when people sign up, is that they get, you get access to them at that point in time? Or, or are you in more places than just that? So my wife was at the park with some of her friends a few weeks ago. And they got this email from the school district saying, um, there has been a lice incident at our elementary school. And so they started talking about lice, Right? And they were talking about it for a few moments at the park. And then when she got home and was swiping through her Facebook feed, there was an advertisement for lice shampoo. They're listening. <laughs> and that's what came out in this, uh, this hearing. Um, they're listening. Whether you have Facebook or not, they're, they're, they are everywhere. If God were on trial, would he be listening? And what's our perspective of this world that we live in? If God were on trial in your life, what would, you, would you say, God, guilty, you, you're, you're listening, you're present, you're, you're, you're here all the time. Do you, do you recognize it? Do, do you live in it? See, because... That's the story that the scriptures are telling. If you have your your Bible open or or swipe or click to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And hopefully you're going to see how the values that shape us are the story that God has been telling from the very, very beginning. From the very beginning. And it says this. uh, This is page 1, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. In the beginning, whom? God. Right. That's an important thing. In the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form or void, so God sort of creates the structure, and it's, it's chaotic and formless and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. And the, say it with me, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This, this word spirit is the Hebrew word ruach. Will you say it with me? Okay, great. Yeah, I'm closer now. So I, I can spit on you. You just, I don't want you to spit on me. Okay, ruach, right? It's that throat clearing word. It meant, it meant spirit. It meant wind to an early Hebrew. It, it was the, the life-giving personal presence of God that moved the trees, that shaped the world, that, that moved the world from, from chaos to order. That's what the Ruach, the, the Spirit of God, did. And if you flip sort of one more chapter over, now we're in chapter 2, verse 7, says this, and then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, a, a living being. So, so we see God's ruach, his spirit, creating the world, shaping the world, giving life to the world, animating the world, as it were. And then we see God breathing life into the lungs of humanity. It's, uh, th- this word, it, it's not the same word, it's, it's nafach. Now, be careful when you say that one. It could get dangerous. Say it, nafach, right. And it's essentially ruaching, or it's um, spiriting. He spirits the people. He gives them life. He gives them life. And so we have in Psalm 139, the psalmist that steps back and goes, oh God, where where can we flee from your presence? Where can we go from your spirit? If I go down to the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. The, the far sides of the sea, God, even there, your right hand will hold me. Your hand will, will hold me fast. We live in a world that Dallas Willard refers to as a God-bathed world. The prophet Isaiah says that that the glory of God covers the face of the earth. There is not a place that you can go on the face of the planet that you can escape the ruach or the the presence of, of God. And yet, we can go days, weeks, months as followers of Jesus and not recognize his presence with us, can't we? Because, because we live in a world that is fractured, that's, that's broken. And so this Ruach, the Spirit of God, now competes with the noise of the world. And we often don't discipline our hearts and lives long enough to actually hear his voice. We live in a busy time in culture, don't we? Somebody um, a few weeks ago told a, a joke. They said, listen, we talk a lot about Jesus' miracles, but nobody talks about the fact that he was 30 and had 12 good friends. He's going, that's miraculous. That's mir- in, in our day and time, that's a borderline miracle, isn't it? But we live in this time and place now. I mean, think about this, where... We are almost constantly inundated with some sort of screen. 
with some sort of noise, aren't we? It's, it's, it's almost constant. We are updating, swiping, and clicking for, they say, five hours now of every day. That people, in a recent study they did of young adults, they, they found that people, and I don't even know how they categorize that, but the young adults checked their phone over 85 times every single day. And the scary part was when they asked them, how many times do you think you checked your phone today? They would say roughly half of the amount of times than they actually did. We are unaware of the noise that we are creating. Uh, 46% of Americans said that they could not live without their smartphone. A device that didn't exist a decade ago, we now cannot live without. And we live in a, let's just admit it, we live in a noisy world, don't we? A device-saturated, clicking, swiping, constant world. We are often alone together, aren't we? I mean, think about the last concert you went to. Uh, my wife and I went and saw a show um, when we were in Mexico, a Cirque du Soleil show. And I kid you not, somebody had their iPad there, and they were filming the thing on an iPad. And I, I'm going, number one, when are you going to watch that? Number two, you know what? The, the fact that you are filming this means you're not actually experiencing it and watching it now. The next baseball game you're at, the next, you know, whatever. People are constantly trying to document so that they can go back and relive an experience they never had. As Neil Postman says, we are amusing ourselves to death. There's this great article in uh, New York Magazine written by a guy named Andrew Sullivan, and, and here's what he said. He, 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 he had some words for the church as well into this noisy world that we live in. Here's what he said. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism but distraction, perhaps... They might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Christian leaders seem to, seem to think that they need more distraction to counter the distraction. Friends, we, we live east of Eden, as it were, where our world is permeated with the presence of God, but his melody is now mixed with the monotonous tone of, of screens and other things, busyness and hurry that occupy much of our day. And I think, I think you can go to church for your entire life and maybe get to the end of it and have an experience that's not all that dissimilar to that of the patriarch's Jacob when he has this recognition, God, certainly you were in this place and we knew it not. We missed it. We missed it. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person that, that misses it. I thought maybe somebody might amen that. <laughs> let's, say, let's try it again. I don't want to be a person that misses it. Amen. 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 So flip over our central text of study today is Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Because be, before there were screens, before there was Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, before there were automobiles or travel, before there was electricity to light up your world at night, when the world was a lot quieter, 
people still had to seek the presence of God. Think about that. Before all of our things that that noisied up our world, people still had to seek the presence of God. And this is an example of one who's seeking. Exodus chapter 33. And it's Moses, the great leader of Israel. And and listen to what the scriptures say about Moses. It says this. Now now Moses, in verse 7 of chapter 33. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp. And he called the, the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So, so the author of Exodus is making a point. Where is this tent? Outside. It's outside of the camp. Okay? And whenever Moses would go to the tent, all the people would rise up. And each would stand at his tent door, and he would watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and would stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his own tent. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks with a friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, this is a whole other message, but I just want you to notice that before Joshua ever says, oh, there's giants in the land, but we can take them down, he's spending time in that tent. And maybe that's the reason he's one of the only ones that says, Oh, come on, we can do it. We can do it. What's Moses' posture? I mean, he has a unique relationship with God. Most people who study this passage would say, yeah, Moses is this representative of a nation. He gets a, a unique, a special encounter with God because God's anointing is on him, God's calling is on him, and, and, and they have this unique and, and special relationship, and certainly that's true. But, but what we see through Moses' life is that encounter with God, even if you're anointed, even if you're called, even if this is your thing, happens outside of the camp. It almost is as though it takes isolation to bring about encounter. It's, it's almost as though he has to get away before he gains an awareness. That, that we can talk about, and we should, the reality that we live in a God-bathed world. But that doesn't mean we always encounter the God who is everywhere. That we can live our lives, certainly God was in this place and, and we knew it not. It's that intentional pursuit of God that allows Moses and now us to encounter the presence of God. Dallas Willard, this great philosopher, used to wake up and every morning he would sit up in his bed and before he did anything else, before he updated his Twitter or Instagram, selfie Dallas Willard waking up, um, he'd never do that by the way, but... Here's what he would say to himself. Three words. God is here. God is here. And he's echoing this anthem that followers of Jesus have cried out 
for years, decades, centuries, that our deepest longing is to, is to encounter his fullest presence. And he's going, I just want to posture my heart for that. Before the day gets going, he's, he's living out Joshua chapter 29, verse 13. You will, you will seek me and what? Find me. When? Don't miss that. When? You seek me with, with all of your heart. So even before the digital revolution, even before electricity, even before widespread travel and the things that make our lives noisy, you do recognize that Jesus, the Son of God, thought it necessary to get away. He, he didn't say, listen, we live in a God-bathed, God-permeated world, so I'll just, just encounter God as my day goes on, which you should do. But sometimes it takes a unique encounter to lead to a more pervasive encounter. So Jesus, what does he do? Mark chapter 1, verse 35, rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went away to a desolate place. And there he prayed. He prayed. He, he encountered God. He, he abided in the life of his father. And so in John chapter 15, verse 4, he says, to you and to me, um, make your home in God. Abide in him, and he'll make his home in you. But it doesn't happen by accident. Look up at me for just a moment. You don't have to look all that much up now. Just look at me. I can say, look at me. Look at me. It's a choice. It's a choice. Abide with me, he says. And I'll make my home, I'll abide in you. And what he's, what he's inviting us back to God's design and our destiny. That life's deepest longing, this is, this is created, it's wired into us. Life's deepest longing is encountering his fullest presence. But it doesn't happen by accident. It happens by a posture of our hearts and of our souls. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, faith is the road, but communion with Jesus is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. Faith is the road, but communion with Jesus is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. All he's doing is reframing the psalmist's exclamation in Psalm chapter 63. Oh God, you are my God. And earnestly, I what? I seek you. My soul, what? Thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, God, I, I want you. More than anything, I want you. Is that our posture? Is that, is that our desire, this God-bathed world, are we making this same exclamation that Moses does as he goes outside the camp and meets with God, it says face-to-face as one meets with a friend, that, that, that David does as he seeks God in his temple saying, oh, that I might gaze upon your face, spend a day in your house is better than a thousand days elsewhere. See, because, you, you know, friends, like Moses was unique He was one of the only people in his nation that got to encounter God face to face like that. And what happened was 
you had this, this tent, this tent of meeting that eventually was developed into a, a tabernacle where, where the people would come and you had the Holy of Holies of God and it was this sort of portable bigger tent that they used to move around with them as they'd travel around the desert. And eventually that tabernacle was turned into a temple. It was a, a physical space. But what these three places had in common was that they were places that people met with God personally. They were places in this sort of God-bathed, God-saturated, where can I go from your presence type of world. God met with people uniquely. And his presence dwelt. And so we have this turn in the, in the New Testament as New Covenant believers. We've been given this gift. I'm not sure if we've stewarded it as well as we could have. See, because what started in a tent and turned into a tabernacle eventually was rolled into a temple. And then in the scriptures, they say, and now this spirit of God, this ruach or the pneuma in the New Testament of God now dwells in you. Sure, he's everywhere, but he's, he's uniquely, personally, life-creating force. Not, not like Star Wars force, but energy in you, personal presence of God in you. I mean, look at the way that Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. Do you not know? I mean, he's going like scratching his head like, church, you've got to know this. You are God's temple. And the, that God's spirit dwells in whom? You. No, you. Not just me, you. Yeah. So let's just, let's just pause for a moment. The Spirit hovers over the deep and creates life. The Spirit is breathed into nostrils and human beings become this, this divine concoction of grace and dirt. And that Spirit lives in What was unique to Moses is now available to all. The question is, is God in this place and we're missing him? Are our lives so noisy and so busy and so cluttered that, that unlike Moses who goes outside of the camp, unlike David who says, I've got to get to your temple, and, and unlike Jesus who says, I'm getting away early to hear his voice, have we just been absorbed into the onslaught of noise in such a way that we can no longer hear his voice? Because it can happen. So what happened in the Old Testament in a place, in a tent, in a, temple, in a tabernacle, and in a temple, now happens, catch this, in believers through a posture. It started in a place, and now it happens in a posture. It's a posture of awareness, of attentiveness, of saying, God, I know that you're here, and, and like looking for Waldo, God, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you. And what I, what I want to do in the next just 10 minutes is unpack what is, when Moses encounters the presence of God, what happens? What does he see? Because God has not changed. 
The way that we interact with God has changed, and, and by the God's Spirit in us, it's, it's different, praise the Lord. But, but what we encounter when we encounter God is, is the same. And so let's just unpack what happens when Moses gets into the presence of God. Verse 11 of chapter 33 says this, Thus Moses, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his what? friend. You wonder, Moses comes out of these interactions with God, with his face glowing, with God's glory sort of having rubbed off on him a little bit, and, and what is told as he gets out of there is, oh man, like I, I am, I'm meeting with Yahweh like he's our friend. So God not only like, like loves us because he has to, but he likes us. Like what, how do you interact with a friend? Probably you, you go out to lunch with them. Hey, you, you grab coffee together. You go do things together. I mean, think of if you had a friend and you're like, hey, listen, I really want to befriend you. You're the most important person in my life. Your relationship is the most important thing. I've got 10 minutes before breakfast that we get to spend together every single day. And I just want to, I just want to read about you. And then it's like, on with our day. How's that going to work out? My, my guess is not that well. Right? And that's not the picture of what happens when Moses encounters the presence of God. When he encounters the presence of God, he, he gets this, this awareness of God's affection. As one who meets with a friend. As one who's honest, <laughs> You read through this encounter in Exodus 33, Moses is brutally honest with God. You almost read it and go, oh, don't say that. Oh, come on. Like, God, you said you were going to do this, and you say that we're your people, and what are other nations going to say about you if you let us die out here? Step up, right? And you're like, oh, no, don't. Step, step back, Moses. He's just honest because he's interacting with God like, like God's his friend. He's not playing games. He's not hiding. You know, hey, if you're struggling with lust, you know you can tell God. If you're struggling with anger, you know you can tell him. If you're struggling with doubt, you know you can tell him. And here's the thing. You can tell him because, all right, look up at me. He already knows. It's not a secret. Some of your friends you can tell things to and they're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Not God. He never says, well, I didn't see that coming. He says, I know I know and I love you. There's two things that happen when you and I step into the presence of God, viewing God as friend. One, our pride dies. You can't get in the presence of God, come out beating your own chest. Doesn't happen, right? But here's the other thing that happens, and the gospel is unique in this. The gospel is the only thing that can do this because the gospel kills our pride and our insecurity because we recognize that we're loved. There's other things that can kill your pride and leave you feeling like absolute garbage. And there's other things that can kill your insecurity and make you think you're awesome. But it's only the gospel that can both lower you and raise you in one instance. That we start to hear that voice of love. We start to hear that voice of, I'm for you. I think Henry Nouwen puts it really well when he says this. The, the challenge, he says, 
is to let go of fear and to claim the deeper truth of who I am, who you are. When you forget your true identity as a beloved child of God, you you lose your way in life. You become scared and start doing things, not freely, but because of fear. But, But when you make space for God in your life and begin to listen to God's loving voice, you suddenly start to realize perfect love. Do you know that Jesus calls you friend? Calls you friend. And you can hear me tell you he calls you that. Oh, man. But when you hear him call you that, it's a game changer. So this longing that we have for God's presence is is often a longing first to hear God. I just need to know that, that not not even that you love me because you have to, but but I just want to know that you like me. Moses heard it. Guys, he calls us friend. And here's the next thing that happens. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up these people. Here's where he's sort of bantering with God. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. That's a great prayer, by the way. Please show me your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too, God. Get your notepad out, God. Right? Moses is saying, consider too, this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Yeah, so Moses is going, hey, hey Lord, we're not going without you. And God's saying, okay, I'm going to go with you. And I'm not just going to be with you, arm around your shoulder. I'm going to be with you, advocating for you. When we're in the presence of God, here's what we recognize, that he wants to give us rest. Like a shalom, soul shalom. That's his desire. It was the picture of walking into a battle and that God was out in front, that they would be victorious. All throughout Joshua, the book of Joshua, they they have this refrain about God giving his people rest. It's when they walk into the land and God delivers on his promise. But it's this picture that when when we encounter the presence of God, we acquire this confidence in God's authority. We, we get to sort of step back from our life and our worries and our control. And we get to recognize that there is one who sits above it all and it is not you. And you show me somebody who's confident in God's power and I will show you somebody who's been in God's presence. Because when we step into his presence, two things die, our need to control and fear that often grips our soul. So the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 46, be still, like unplug. Maybe if you're writing in a modern day, stop swiping, stop updating, look up instead of around, give your thumbs a rest, be still. 
and know that I'm God because you will only know that I'm God in the stillness. Be still and know that I'm God. And then he goes, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is what? With us. With us. God of Jacob is our fortress. So I just, as I, as I was preparing this week, I just got this sense that I think that this is a word for some of us, of God just saying, listen, I know there's a lot going on in your world. I know there's a lot of fears. I know there's a lot of question marks. I know there's a lot of disappointment and a lot of pain. But part of the enemy's ploy in your life and mine is that when things feel out of control, we need to work harder. We need to do more. We need to take those reins. We need to beat our chest a little bit and step our game up a little bit. And the counterintuitive invitation from the gospel is when life feels out of control, you need to recognize who's in control. Life is often out of control. Newsflash. But there's someone who never feels hurried, never feels rushed, never says, I wish I could, but I can't. And you will only encounter that when you are still. Here's how Moses ends this section. God says, my presence will go with you. And then, and, and he said to him, Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, so God says, I'm going with you. And he goes, well, good. Because if you don't, right? <laughs> and God's like, whoa, 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 I said I would, right? They take a step back, Moses. Okay, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight I and your people, is it not you're going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Okay, Moses, like I said before, I am going with you. But don't you just love Moses' posture? It's one of, hey God, we'd rather wander around in the wilderness with you then enter into the promised land without you. God, if we're going to be successful as your people, and God, if I'm going to be successful as, as a leader, Moses says, you, you've got to go with us. We would rather follow a person than a path. That's what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, don't just chart out the course for us. Go with us. Go with us. And then he tells you why he wants God to go with them. So that they would be distinct so that they would be unique so that they would be the, the people of God. See, the truth of the matter is, friends, we only become the people of God when we spend time in the presence of God. And I don't mean spending time just learning information. I, information is great. It's wonderful. But I think we probably, as, as a, just a church community in the states in general, we probably could do with less information. We, we need more transformation. 
And transformation only happens when we encounter the personal presence of God. That Praise God dwells within us, but we often crowd out because our lives are so noisy. And so Paul writes to his church in Corinth, and we, how many? All. What was unique to Moses is available to all. And we all, all the believers, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. As we behold his glory, we are being what? Transformed. We're being changed into the same image, into into the image of Jesus from, from one degree of glory to the next. Being in the presence of God is like It's like being in a furnace. It can hurt sometimes. He's he's not the friend that just pats you on the back when you're going to destroy your life. You know that, right? He's a friend and he's for you and he will tell you what's true about you. He'll, He'll confront sin in your life. He'll confront guilt and shame in your life. He'll convict, he'll, he will heal, he'll restore, he, he, he'll say to you, hey, 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 Paulson, is that really who you want to become? Do you really feel like you need to carry that burden? Can you release that anger? Will you give it to me? Ryan, I love you exactly the way that you are. You've got nothing to prove. I am for you through and through This is the transforming work of God, friends. It's the soul work that we often long for but resist because a furnace not only refines but it also takes some things away. So this is the transformation we long for. What might it look like? What might it look like this week if you were to live in this presence um, let me just give you a few things. Because I want to answer, like, what, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Uh, my friend Steve this week told me about a sort of, I just called it the each hour challenge, where you, you just sort of maybe set an alarm on your phone, it buzzes you, and, and you take time and, and just review that hour and ask the question, God, where did I see you at work? So I did this on Friday, and do you know what happened? I saw God at work in ways I wouldn't have seen. I'll give you one, the first example. I was, I was sort of busy working away, and I had this like thing planned out, you know, so my alarm goes off. My alarm goes off, and, and, and I actually noticed that my youngest son was staring at me working, and I just went, oh man, God, I'm teaching on presence, and I can't even be present with him. That was that conviction piece. And then we were off and running for the day, and it changed my day. Changed my day. It wasn't perfect, but he was present in it. And he would have been whether I recognized it or not. Maybe you do that. Maybe you memorize Psalm 23, and then just maybe three times throughout the day, you just remember, God, you're my shepherd. And God, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God, you're here. How can I see you? Maybe you, you pray the Lord's Prayer. Just a few times a day, and you start to recognize, yeah, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. 
Maybe you spend a day fasting. You do know that, that throughout the ages of the church, fasting has been one of the most prominent disciplines to jar our hearts and minds to recognize that God's with us. So we empty a little bit of us in order to be filled with more of him. And here's the thing. You're probably not going to die if you do that. You're going to feel like you might because we often don't, right? But you're probably not going to die. You're, I think you're going to be okay. Or maybe it's just you come on Sundays anticipating, God, you're here. Not, not because this space is unique, but because a bunch of people who have you living in them are gathering in the same spot to declare your praise and your glory. And God, you say you inhabit the praises of your people, so we come expecting, and we come passionate, and we come to pour our hearts out to you because you are here, and you care, and you love us, and you're for us, and we just want to tell you how awesome we think you are. That might change your week. Maybe you take your hands out of your pockets a little bit, and I mean, you can go Tyrannosaurus Rex um, praise if you want to, or you could just throw them up in the air like you just don't care. I, I mean, but sometimes the posture of our body allows us to recognize the presence of God. So maybe it's on our knees. Maybe it's with our hands in the air. Maybe it's with our hands just open saying, God, we just want to meet with you. So as Aaron comes back out to lead us in one last song, I just want to give you a moment as we land the plane here. What do you want to do this week? How might you practice the presence of a God who's here but that we often miss? See, because here's the truth, friends. At South Fellowship, we want to be a people that encounter and carry God's presence. We believe, we believe that the world needs more people aware of his affection, confident in his authority, and being transformed into his people. It's one of the distinctives that we hope shapes our community and our lives, and through us, God's world. Would you stand with me as we close our time with one song and in prayer here? So Lord, we do... We want you to tune our hearts to, to see your grace. We, we believe that you are in this place. And Lord, we, we want our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to encounter. God, we want to be changed because of the fact that we walk with you. Not just knowing things about you, but knowing you like a friend. So God, would you, would you move, would you change us, would you work in us, we pray, for our joy and for the glory of your name.